Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Robert Bruff. He is the founder and CEO of both HealthScope Services and also Agility Staffing Solutions. It's a great conversation with Rob. We cover everything about uh, outsourcing, staffing, sales, uh, and building processes that work. We talk about business generally and how so many principles of outsourcing are really just basic business principles. Uh, Rob has certainly got many decades of business experience. He's been a successful businessman for many decades now. He originally sold a business and got into the outsourcing services industry as a direct result of that business. You will hear all of this on the podcast, of course, but he has a lot of experience to share. It's a great conversation. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Rob, welcome to the show. You're sitting in New Zealand, a place that is very close to my heart. I grew up in New Zealand. What uh, got a guy from New Zealand involved in global outsourcing, specifically to the Philippines? Oh, Derek, that's a very long story. I don't think anyone's got enough time to listen to it, but uh, I ended up in the U.S. after um, completing my MBA and, um, you know, a whole chain of events. I got into a healthcare business with my partner and um, we ended up actually going to the Philippines to hire people to work for our healthcare business. And, you know, that's a, there's quite a backstory to that, but it's a very convoluted journey. Fantastic. So now... Fast forward of, uh, you know, one or two decades, but uh, you have two, uh, effectively two brands working within the outsourcing field. Um, do you want to introduce us to both of those? You you started and focus a lot on uh, health services. And now, of course, you you um, have a more generalist provision. Do you want to yeah. introduce both yeah. of those? 
Yeah, well, um, with health phone services, we um, uh, focused entirely on dealing with US-based healthcare companies and doctor's offices, providing staff. Um, we, our, our model is to have staff leasing. So um, we legally hire people in the Philippines and uh, we provide those people on a single cost per month basis to um, US healthcare companies. And <clears throat> that business is doing very well. And we decided um, that we would expand further, um, expanding both geography and the services that we provide. That started another company named Agility Staffing Solutions. And um, we've moved into Australia and New Zealand and also providing services in the United States and Singapore, where we have offices in all of those different locations. And you've been involved in outsourcing a long time. Like, How have you seen the awareness of outsourcing evolve and the acceptance of outsourcing evolve amongst the, the business community? I think it's evolved tremendously. Um, certainly 13 or 14 years ago when I first got involved in finding people in the Philippines, uh, my business partner at the time said to me, we'll do this over my dead body. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know much. It still amazes me that people don't know much, but they, we're no longer pioneers. Now, you go back 10 years or more, um, you know, there's a lot of pioneering going on. And, you know, being a pioneer, you can be an Indian and get arrows in the back. So um, we, try and, um, we try and educate uh, people, but many people are still afraid. Um, and they're afraid of losing control. They're un, really unsure and unaware about the school base of Filipinos. Um, and I'll only talk for Philippines because that's the only um, country that have operations in, but there are many countries around the world that course are now providing these services and um uh, so i i think it's still a journey for many people Derek. Mm. Mm. and there's a lot of education that's required uh we know it intimately and it, it never ceases to surprise me when people you know they know it exists but when you start talking to them they really still are unsure and 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 you know need a quite a bit of um help to get them you know on a pathway how have you, because, you know, predominantly dealing with the medical industry, and of course, that has to be a cautious industry, slow moving industry that can't make mistakes. There's obviously a lot of uh, confidentiality issues and security privacy issues, things like that. Um, are there any sort of silver bullets or magic formulas for getting people over the line for, for getting them started, um, for kind of... Um, Break, reducing that risk and exposure and just making them more of a comfortable exercise for them to, to start? Well, for me, you know, my background is in healthcare. Um, I got into um, this business because of a healthcare company that I owned with a partner and um, it was a national company across the US, 36 states, we had operations. And um, so, you know, I really deeply understood um, the HIPAA and high tech laws around healthcare, um, I had to practice them and be very careful in my business to make sure that we met all of the responsibilities that we had. And so taking that into my operation in the Philippines was very simple. We're also very good, have very good documentation, Derek. So we're also um, certified in the US and um, we had really good documentation and that made it very easy to, to um, you know, take uh, all of that learning to, to the Philippines and make sure that we embed that in our operations in the Philippines. And even though I no longer um, have that healthcare company, 
We still operate on the same principles. We still have very detailed documentation across everything, including um, IT, HIPAA, high tech. And in fact, I'm talking to an Australian healthcare company at the moment, and they've been asking for documentation on this issue. So it's a, you know, it's 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 something that required if you're going to be uh, dealing with healthcare companies, it, you certainly got to be on your game with um, you know healthcare law and regulations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you were talking earlier about building what is effectively you know a sales team or reaching out to the doctors' offices and things like that. What can you what can you say in terms of building effective sales or outreach teams and things like that? It it can be as you say it's grueling, isn't it? And a lot of clients just you know want to click their fingers and have an outsourced team that'll um, reach sales KPIs within a couple of weeks, like. Um, what is your perspective on building an effective sales or, or outreach function? It's very difficult and it takes a lot of work, like everything. I mean, even getting into, you know, offshoring, um, outsourcing offshore, you you can't just offshore your problems. You really, you can offshore things you know well. Um, if you've got great documentation, that really helps. And uh, running sales teams is is a very specialist area. And, you know, I see a lot of companies, you know, one or two person companies saying, oh, gee, I'll just hire 10 people, 10 salespeople in the Philippines and my sales will grow. Well, no. Um, so my experience, direct experience is um, in my healthcare company, we had to go and visit doctor's offices. And uh, my partner ran uh, quite a large sales team that was on the ground. And he ran it very well. And there's a lot to running a sales team and motivating a sales team. And he, he had a very strong sales background himself. Um, where I was able to help running the operations was in the Philippines, without even talking to them, I put on um, some appointment setters and those appointment setters doubled up to be able to take calls from doctor's offices for our sales guys. So one for each two sales guys and um, they would arrange um, appointments for the sales guys to go and uh, visit a doctor's office. And it's very hard to get into a doctor's office. And I was astounded about the results that this team, you know, generated. And once um, the sales individual had um, secured a stream of business from that, uh, referrals from the doctor's office, um, then that individual in the Philippines would also support the office. So if there was a question, the doctor had a question of the patient, uh, you know, he could, they could call and talk to the Philippines-based sales assistant. And that, between those two aspects, um, it really freed up time for the sales guys and they could generate a lot more work. So, um, but as I said, I, I, I see a lot of people now attempting to build sales teams with no knowledge of sales, no way of motivating the team. And they'll ask questions and you know straight away when they ask a question like, I, I need some sales guys, can they sell? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you obviously know much, don't know much about selling. You know, it's just an impossibility, Derek. So unless, you, unless you're already running a sales team and you really understand sales, you can offshore your sales team, but you've got to understand it. And you, or you've got to have someone in your organization that does and that can run them. And yes, they'll be very successful. You can get closers, you can get appointment setters, but you can't get people doing this work unless you have you know, some experience in it. They're not just going to run off and, and create a, a deluge of sales for you. And 
how has it evolved over the years? Like to me, it appears well. It's ever changing. I mean, you can't phone a landline anymore, can you? Does anyone answer landlines? And then do you phone people's mobiles? You can try emailing people, but often those are filtered out or blocked and not answered. How do you even get through the door these days in a in a sort of digital world? Um, phone. We find phoning people still works. Um, you know, often you do get a message back. But um, ultimately, uh, emailing and following up with a phone message does work. Consistency, right. consistency of follow up, and keep following up. Right, right, yeah. So, like most things, there's no no magic tricks. You just got to be consistent. Yeah, and consistent. Do the job well, yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, again, personal experience um, from my healthcare business was that you hit. Yeah, the timing sometimes is just right. Um, you know, they're looking for somebody else they can do business with simply because they got let down by another third party and your consistency helps you. You email them, email them, you know, three weeks ago um, or you've left them a message and they call or they email you back and say, look, as it turns out, yes, we're interested. How quickly can we talk? So, you know, that consistency um, really can help. And, and often it does turn down to turn up, you know, it's around timing. Uh, I, as, as you know, you've been to our office and I, you've seen our TV studio in our office, I think. But do you think there's a future where, you know, these medical reps that sell devices and they're very, very expensive salaries and they've got to drive around different hospitals and doctor's offices and things like that. Do you see a future where, you know, you can have a suite of TV studios with two or three cameras and instead of visiting a doctor's office, you can have, you know, camera, TV, equipment, showing, demonstrating, um, whatever these devices. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there's no driving in between. Do you, do you see that as a as sort of the next step or is that one step too far? Do doctors want that personal touch and that real interface? Yes, yeah, so I think it's a all selling ultimately is is a personal business. And whilst I think COVID has opened the doors more for being able to use, um, you know, other methods methods of communication, people still enjoy being able to see each other face-to-face. And um, it's, I find personally, it's much easier to do business if you, and you sort of know, and know and you know, in inverted commas, know each other. Um, and, and then it's easy to talk on the phone and perhaps follow up with a Zoom call or a Teams call. But that, Personal meeting, I think, makes a big difference. Um, and that's why you've seen business travel taking back off again. Because mm. whilst everyone's learned you can do everything on Zoom, um, I, I believe you do need those, those, that personal contact for, um, you know, getting real results and creating, um, you know, relationships that, that last. Right. And so just recapping your history then, you, you had a health company, healthcare company, um, for which you were performing these activities, and then you effectively scaled that up and started to perform those activities for for client side health companies. Is that is that right? With uh, yeah, well, we, yeah, we, we um, sold the business to you know a multi billion dollar company, and uh, they said, "Look, you've got all these people in the Philippines. We don't want to run that. Why don't you keep them? You lease them to us and manage them, and." Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll grow that team over time. And that's what we did. So, and then we added, ended up adding other clients. Um, 
that particular business has recommended other people to us. So I haven't actually actively sold, um, you know, gone out knocking on doors. They've all come by way of referral from happy other clients. And um, we've been able to grow a very strong business through that. And that's incredible. And, and I suppose what's your observation of the industry? Is, is everyone into that now or is it still the sort of lonesome few uh, that, that see this as potential or, or has everyone sort of been uh, their eyes open to this potential? Oh, well, I think, you know, a lot of business, especially big businesses, you know, understand the potential. Um, I was telling you earlier about my partner and, uh, you know, when we, when I first mentioned to him, we were driven to, to do, hasten to add. Um, I would have never have done it. Um, except uh, for uh, Medicare competitive bidding, which um, dramatically pushed the revenue. So we had about a 17% EBITDA margin provided very high level of patient care, which you don't get paid for. And um, when Medicare competitive bidding came in, um, our the pricing for our reimbursements dropped 47%. So you don't have to be too much of a math wizard to work out. You've got a major problem. And um, over two years, I moved 120 jobs to the Philippines and saving about $6 million a year with and maintaining the same level of and same quality of patient care that we had, um, you know, with our American team. So just massively successful. Started with the pilot of five. Three months later, my partner was amazed and it was wonderful and we went to 25 and just kept growing and, and moving jobs. And that's quite difficult, obviously, because you're having to lay off people in the US, but it's either, uh, it's all about survival. You know, if you mm. can't you can't do that, well, then no one has a job. Mm. It's so common to see, isn't it? You know, it, it takes a little while to get it off the ground, but then there's no going back once you've set up a successful offshore team um, they can perform as well. They can meet whatever metrics you need uh, and there's significant cost savings there, of course. So um, it's it's a common road for people, this sort of journey of discovery and amazement and then they're sold. But it, it's just so incredible that not everyone is, has piled in yet. Yeah, it's, well, it's I, been I, happening I for 30 years yeah. and people are still shocked by the concept. Well, I think a lot of it still is that people are worried about various things. And, you know, my business model, the way I operate it, yeah, there are multiple business models, but the way I operate, as I said earlier, is, um, you know, I legally employ people, build teams, build very strong teams. Um, we build each individual uh, a monthly um, dollar number and uh, we provide everything. And then now my operations, quality people work with the clients to make sure, and HR, uh, make sure that the client's, get the best out of the team that we built for them. And it's, you know, and it works really well. Um, but there are a lot of clients who haven't engaged, or a lot of potential uh, companies, I should say, haven't engaged. And, you know, they worry about many things, loss of control. Can these people do the same job my team does here? Um, you know, I think there's some subtle racism goes on, Derek. Um, you know, it's not. People aren't inherently racist, but they just think, oh, a Filipino can't do the job that an American does. Well, <laughs> I've got news for you. Uh, they can and do. And, you know, every single person we employ um, has a good degree and sometimes two or three degrees. Um, and, uh, you know, I know my team in the US, I think I have one person out of a couple of hundred people that had, had a degree apart from my executives. So, you know, uh, 
these are they're smart people, you know, good English skills. And they, I, I think another big differentiator is they want to work there. If you look mm. after them, they want to come to work and do a good job for you. And I wouldn't say that about, you know, Americans and um, uh, Australians and New Zealanders. You know, they'll come to work, they put their hand out, please give me the pay. Oh, I've got to actually do something. <laughs> you know, it's, a bit of a, it's, it's not like it used to be. You know, one of the things that attracted me to go to the US was, um, you know, everyone wanted to work. And, uh, you know, people would work three jobs to achieve. And I think I've seen, you know, over the 24 years I, that I've been in the US, I've seen that, um, you know, really change. And it's gone quite European. You know, it's, it's got more socialist, if you like, and a lot of people, you know, with their hand out rather than a culture of uh, personal responsibility and I'm going to work, it's sort of, you know, mowed money and I'll sit here and put my hand out. And it's just amazing how it's changed, you know, over mm-hmm. the 20 odd years. The Philippines is, is very effective and people can do the job very well. And, you know, I had a conversation with a, um, you know, advisory client yesterday who wants to bring a big team over here. And I, I, I tried to say, look, you know, it, it is hard. It, it takes relearning. You need to build processes. You've got to understand the culture, the communication. Um, but then once it will work, but don't stop there. Too many clients sort of then stop at call center agents or outreach or customer service and think, you know, they can do that job, let's leave it there. But they never look beyond that into the marketing department or accounting department or, uh, you know, technical or dev or IT. Uh, And then they never look up in terms of like sort of executive talent and management and strategic and leadership. It's it's such a shame, isn't it? Because it's just leaving so much opportunity on the table. And even yeah. the people that are here, they they sort of go, okay, well they're good at this, but you know we need to we need to keep this other stuff on shore, which is a shame. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, you know, I moved um, all that I had a controller in the US, and I had six accountants in the US, and I um, had five. Um, I you know I, I was able to drop one. I employed five in the Philippines. I sent my lead account I hired there to work with my controller in the US for two weeks came back and all the accounting you know was done perfectly and I still have five accountants now working in the Philippines I'm building out as you know I'm building out a big marketing team at the moment um, I'm finding all those skills that are needed and the people are great yeah so, yeah I mean I've built my company this company you know completely in the Philippines I'm the only non-filipino and I believe we're building a, an absolutely world-class company uh, and it's a tech company, you know, uh, yeah. and it's all, all doable. And I think, you know, part of the problem is as soon as people get frustrated with someone in the Philippines, they blame it on the Philippines, whereas, um, or, you know, the nature of the Philippines, but business people are forever getting frustrated. You know, it, that's the nature of business. Like you, you're trying to do something that is hard and um, it, it's hard to, uh, you know, get a team of staff to to go where you want them to go and and that's just the difficulties of business and it's difficult it's it's unfortunate when they um uh, mix that or confuse that with the fact that they're in the philippines and things are hard it must be philippines at fault kind of thing yeah yeah well just going back to what you said earlier um about you know someone wanting to leave a big team you know what i find uh, with a new client is that there's always you know, and, and I always bring this up. I always talk about it. But it's so interesting to me when 
you know, there are issues in those early one or two, three months that they go, oh, gee, this is a problem. I said, well, look, this always happens. So building a team, to start, you've, got, you've got to get grounded. And I say, look, have a pilot, have five or 10 people and get that team going. And there's always, I don't want to use the word turmoil, but there's always some turnover amongst that initial team. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how well you hire. And, and, you know, we have one, a 10-person team recently and they lost two people and they were just devastated. Um, but, you know, every employee doesn't tell you the truth when you hire them. So you can do so much work. And, you know, in this instance, one of the people was waiting for a visa to move to Canada. Mm. And she, the visa came through after we gave her the job and after she'd been in training for two weeks. Well, you know, these things happen, Derek. And, uh, and then another team member was waiting for it, got, was getting married. To somebody overseas so they lost two team members in the first month and they were devastated um, and i understand it but this this stuff happens but what we find is once you've got that team um you know that's settled in and certainly you know in the, using the philippines uh, parlance where we regularize people at months you know i find you know we have a, like a one or two percent churn rate after that you can get a fair bit of churn in in um that first three months particularly but once people are settled and you start adding people to the team, it becomes very solid. And, um, you know, that's why it's so important. You know, I think if you've got 100 people, you'd really like to, to move 100 people. We'll start with 10 or 15 in a partner. Get, that, get the basis of that team sort of settled and uh, be able to recognise some potential leadership amongst that team. You know, people who could be leads. And then you can start adding people. And... Um, it will be very solid after that. And it's very hard just to say, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I want 100 people and we're going to train them up and it's all going to go perfectly. Well, no, the world's not like that. If you did that in the United States or Australia or New Zealand and you hired 100 people and you put them in a room, um, it's going to be exactly the same result. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and it's, it's, it's just difficult to get people to have that patience with the process because often when they outsource, you know, with inverted commas, they want to just outsource all of the problems, all of the difficulties, and then you just give them a result. And and again, yeah. it's not like that, is it? It's got to be co-parenting no. because, of course, it's their product. It's yeah. um, their business, uh, their Absolutely. brand. Um, yeah. I mean, there are companies in the outsourcing world that will you can outsource tasks to. Um However, you know, I always, when I'm talking to people and I talk about the models, I always sort of caution them to understand that if you, the companies, as a general rule, the companies that you can outsource tasks to will have a team that can do task A. And so they want a team of 20. And what they do is they'll take five people from somebody else's team doing task A to form the core of the group to do task A for you. And they'll hire 15 others. But they've got a core of people that know what they're doing that they can train people and try and get them up to speed. So all you do then as a manager is you manage the KPIs. And you don't know who the team are. You've got no idea. And you work with manager to manage the KPIs. You know, I need more production. The quality of this is no good. And your team never really evolves because then somebody else comes along and says, I want a team to do task A. And guess what they do? They'll they'll take five people or 10 people out of your team to form the core group in that team. And this goes on and on. 
Whereas under my model, those people are with you for the life of our of our business together. And I think most jobs, this is critical because they end up getting to have personal relationships with all of the stakeholders um, in your business, whether they be customers, whether they be uh, you know other employees, and on on you know the in the country that you're um, operating from, it's just really really important. And um, as people have just moved about on the on, on this yeah, sorts of the task model, um, you just look you lose that and you lose the efficiency to get with people who've worked for you for you know two three four five years. I mean I've got you know people working for me for more than ten years now. Mm. Just that, you know, and the number more than five. Wow, mm. I know because I, I always pay them a mid-year bonus. I'm like always astounded. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, a lot. You know, when I, I, I mean, I wrote a book on outsourcing, and when I talk to people about outsourcing, a lot of the principles are actually just business principles, aren't they? You know, it's how to run a team, and you can't build things overnight, and tenured employees once they've been with you five ten years you work well together and you know i think there's a sort of um myth that outsourcing is this new technique of employment where you know you can have um like gig work they can come in for five minutes do a project and then go away and you get a new one to it for a different project It, it will never ever work because you're forgetting sort of how humans interact and how they get into rhythms and learn behaviors and get better with practice and um and then get better with the team around them and it's very difficult to replace that and then once you have that team around you for a year you have a really solid team don't you and you can lose one two three four five people because you've still got the foundation of the team but as you in day one where you have none of that and you're building a team and you have to build that culture and those processes it's very uh um, very volatile, very delicate. But again, this isn't outsourcing. It's just kind of basic yeah. business yeah. principles, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we certainly replicated what we started in the Philippines and do it today, uh, what we were doing in the US. And, you know, it's, there's no silver bullets for building a team, but most of it's just common sense. And, and so we give people uniform shirts, uh, tops, as a um, woman. Um, so, you know, everyone looks the same. They can see that part of the we pro brand those with the client, clients like, and we do the same with Lanyards too, where we pro brand. Um, we've got all kinds of uh, incentives. Um, so, you know, I give a certain amount of money for each office to be able for the leaders in that office to be able to just reward people that are doing things just instantly with, with vouchers. Um, we, we do things like uh, we have raise. So, if a team member uh, gets help from another team member, they can fill out a raise. And explain, you know, why they think the um, that person help them deserves a raise, and then we pull those out every month out of the box, and uh, we give a cash prize and um, a, a badge that goes along your name. And um, obviously, we we have all the other uh, high rewards at our quarterly and annual uh, parties where we recognise um, outstanding service. We recognise um, a, a an employee of the quarter, which is someone that's that's one array. We um, uh, recognise um, the top lead for the year. We recognise the top employee for the year. And, you know, there's a, a lot of, of incidents recorded where we can talk so positively about an individual and why they deserve that award. And, um, you know, we, we're giving thousand US $1,000 prizes for the stuff. So it's, it's significant 
and um, the employees love it, and they're very involved in the way all this works. Um, yeah. You know, I also think that running the way you run your workplace is important. So, you know, um, call centres particularly, and many BPOs are a little, uh, you know, um, regulated. So, you know, they line people up and you've got to push a button to ask out of the bathroom and so forth. And I run American-style workplaces where people can move about, people um, uh, can, you know, they, they pick it up and, and talk to one of their colleagues about an issue. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, and, and family-friendly. We really, we really take care of our people. And the other is um, compensation. Well, that's not, again, not a silver bullet. You know, my, our starting compensation um, is, I know, more than double of a BPO's. And, um, you know, and that's just a pathway to get started. So I think paying people well, recognising them continually and making it fun, you know, no worse. But, you know, when you're sitting behind a computer and, and on the phone, it's fun there um, for most people. But um, you, you know, by by doing things that make the employees feel good about coming to work, they definitely come to work and do a great job. And that's something that you know we put a lot of time into. Just a multitude of little things that we do to encourage that. And all of these details, you know, it's taken you years of business experience and actually running this operation to iterate and test and tweak and iterate again and, you know, to get it into this kind of working order. It's And it's all just these things that are intricately sort of built under the surface that make all this stuff kind of work and flow smoothly and things like that, isn't it? So, you know, again, that's the value that people can get by tapping into you into your business or into outsourcing generally is you know it, it's cheaper to sort of hire someone off online jobs.ph but you're really absolutely in the wilderness aren't you you know um with with all of this and it takes a lot of system structure experience to build effective and efficient teams and build an environment where they're productive uh, and this is this is part of the expertise that you bring to the client relationship yeah Oh, yes. And, you know, just like any business anywhere as well, I mean, you've got to build a big administrative team. So you've got to have great HR people, you've got to have great IT people. You know, it, it, it's how long is a piece of string, like any business. So yeah, there's a lot of cost in doing this well. And uh, notwithstanding all of my cost is in the Philippines, um, like, like one employee I've got who married someone in the US and she's the worst for me, but um, uh, I'll to pay. But, um, you know, having said that, um, you know, it's, to be able to do it well, you've got to know what you're doing and you've got to be able to have that solid foundation to build off. And, um, you know, we've certainly been able to do that. Yeah, fascinating. So agility staffing solutions. And, you know, there's obviously a big need. You have focused for a long time on the medical industry. But, of course, like, as you know, you know, my, what I preach is like outsourcing could be or offshoring could be applied to 99% of businesses and you know, 99% of roles across every sector. Um, and so what attracted you to the more generalist model and what do you think you can sort of uh, add there? Well, uh, what I'm doing as a point of difference is, and the way we're promoting the, the new business, is that we make it very clear that a client can deal with the founders. So there's my, uh, my best friend here in New Zealand. 
um, and he's looking after New Zealand and Australia, I look after the US and uh, and anywhere else, Canada as well. Um, but if you can talk to one of the founders and you're not talking to an executive who works for the company or a salesperson that works for the company, you can get the benefit of uh, my, my experience particularly. Um, and the fact that I've done this for myself, you know, I started this journey doing this for myself. I was wildly successful and I built a strong business based on that knowledge, um, helping other people. And I just feel that I can help people in the journey. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not the cheapest. I think I talked to you one day about my rate per person and you said I was, you thought I was about in the middle. Um, I know I'm not the cheapest, but, um, you know, I, I know that what we do, we do extremely well. And uh, I, I know that when I started, I didn't want to save every last cent. I just want, I needed to save a lot of money. And I wanted to build a strong team that could deliver great results. And that worked for me. And so that's what I talk to to my clients now and potential clients now. Um, but if they want the lowest common dollar, uh, sorry, the lowest uh, dollar, well, then that's, that's not me. There's always companies out there who... Uh, who get cheaper and cheaper. And I always say to potential clients, well, you know, if that's the rate, what do you think they're paying the staff? And how long do you think that staff member's going to stay around? And, uh, you know, the higher churn you have, it's like a lot of, a lot of clients, you've got to really, it's like they don't understand the concept of churn. Mm. You know, high churn, the cost to your business is astronomical. So you need low churn. And if you've got low churn, let's um, say you an enormous amount of money in training, in you know, re-establishing relationships, uh, just it's, it's it's just a killer for business. And as I said, yeah. you know, something like paint to people, and it, uh, the message doesn't always get through. And for general business end, like how do you work with clients? Do you co-manage processes? Because you know, of course, outsourcing has. Um, there's a dominant model called seat leasing where effectively you're providing the facilities and of course all the HR layer and things like that, but the clients manage the staff themselves. How do you, are you helping the clients manage their processes, building processes, overseeing people and roles and functions, or do you let them uh, do that themselves? How, how do you come in as a, as an organization? Um, all of our clients to date have, you know, the, existing businesses and have their own processes. And what I find is most companies, even big companies, don't have good written processes. So I know that when I started my own business many years ago, I was just amazed. I hear, in funny when I heard a conversation, I came to work in a business full time. Initially, my partner, who was a sales guy, was selling like hell and the business exploded. And he asked me to come and help. And I sat in the car, my office is at the end of the corridor and I heard a conversation. And one day I heard this conversation where someone said, gee, I hope so-and-so doesn't leave. She's the only one who knows how to do that. And I realized there's no institutional knowledge. There's no, there's no knowledge management in the whole company. And then I found my horror that people who have to know something are training somebody else. And which is how I sort of got into building good documentation and ultimately getting ISO certified. Um, and I've just carried that on. So I find that clients generally don't have great documentation. They might have some, they're not great. And I like to see processes where uh, you have a written doc a document, a process, and that document spells out 
the reason that you're doing this job, it bullet points every step to complete the job with a, with a, uh, a, a description of how to do it, short description. And as most of the stuff's on a computer, a screen showing you at each step what you can do. And the way that I build those documents is that anyone who can operate a computer, they might be slow, but anyone who can operate a computer and you say, do job X, like here's the document, here's the core quality management instruction, here's the QMI. They can sit down on a computer and they can do that job. Now, obviously, with training, they've then got that document as a crutch. Um, but, and, and, you know, they, it really helped because if they are a little bit unsure about a set and they spent a week training and they're a little bit unsure about a set once they're live, they can go back to their document, back to their QLI and go, oh, yes, that's it. So, um, and then, of course, at the end, look at the KPIs. So if you've done this job well, this is what the result should look like. And this is what should and should not happen. So everyone understands. And then you can build each, each job set and you can um, show people a pathway that, okay, if you've done this set of jobs well. This is where it goes next. This is the next set. Um, where someone else on the team is going to take over and do something else of that information. So everyone understands the flow and everyone understands what it takes to do that job well. And I know this is a very long-winded answer, but what we find is that we generally have to write these documents for the client. So the client will give us something, and once the team's been working for a month or six weeks, um, my operations and QA people step in and make sure that we build the documentation. When a team first starts, the client trains them. We don't know what the job is. The client trains them. But my operations people are sitting in on that training. And the goal is once they, um, once they need to start adding people, that we've got really good documentation, we understand um, the how they go about training for those roles, we can add out, you know, various elements to that. And the client then doesn't have to worry about training again because we have got individuals in one of our offices that know how to do the job. We've got good documentation and I've got operations staff and training staff that step in and take over that role from the client. So the client generally only has to do it once, as long as they're happy to do that. Some don't, some want to keep training. Um, and then we, our quality people, look at the KPIs the clients are trying to get, and we are always measuring that. So the client managers day to day, the client um, uh, makes sure that the team know the work for the day. They measure product quality and quality. Um, but our team, my team, is management team are working hand in hand with the client's management team. And we're, we're in there in terms of quality, in terms of just day-to-day operations, and HR as it's needed, and working with the client. So it's a very close relationship that you end up developing. It's not the client runs everything and you don't have to worry about anything. We, we get very involved in the day-to-day of the client, but we don't manage the team in terms of what they get tasked to do each day. And we don't manage the team about productivity and quality, we look at it and we talk to them, but we do that through their management. Yeah, it's very nuanced, isn't it? I call it a kind of co-parenting and uh, where there's a lot of gray area 
which which can sometimes be difficult if accounts aren't working. It can it can sometimes be a bit of a blame game. But when it does work, and most most of the time it does work, it, it's very powerful, isn't it? Because of course, people, the clients aren't just getting you know highly cost effective, capable staff. They're actually then tapping into the the you know the decades of business experience of you and your organization and the processes that you bring to bear. So it's uh, yeah, a powerful. Yeah. Value, 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 obviously. And um, yeah, I just I, I just think that it, this is so powerful for a business because you know it's very difficult now to find good employees. You know, I, I, I suspect it's never been really easy, but it's um it's hard to find good employees, and I don't like to concentrate on. The money, you know, there are big cost savings, but it's more about hitting great employees that give you runway to great business. That's really the big story here. It's not about money, and you know, to me, it's an addendum. Oh, by the way, you're going to save at least fifty percent um, of what your US based wage is going to be. Mm. But the bigger story is: look, you can find fantastic employees and grow a great team. And you're going to have that runway to really grow the hell out of your business. And that's the big story here. Yeah, it's powerful stuff, isn't it? And, and it's leading with that value driver as opposed to, you know, salaries are cheaper because because that's commoditized now, isn't it? As you say, there's you know no longer the pioneers. Everyone is aware of this salary advantage. So so then it's all about actually what are you, what's the differentiator? What can you do beyond yeah. that? Uh, and yeah. that's, that's the powerful stuff. And, you know, some of you know now that we've we've um, extended with agility, you know, I, I do get clients saying, potential clients saying to me, "Well, Rob, you know, what, what's different? What's different about you?" And you know, the difference the difference about me is uh, that I always tell them, "Is look, you're going to work with me." So, Derek, you want to offshore uh, some of your team, you're always going to be able to work with me personally. So, yeah, day to day, there'll be my managers and your managers working, but you will talk with me. You won't have to talk with one of my managers down the chain. And, you know, I think that also is something that's important where you've got two business owners who, you know, it, and I also explain that, look, if I don't make you successful, I can't be successful. I'm only successful if you are. Mm. And, and so I, I want to do everything in my power to make sure this works for you. And I've got a lot of knowledge. And so, um, and, and, you know, I've, I've had potential clients who, um, don't want to listen, and that's okay. I, you know, I say, well, look, I don't think we're going to be able to help you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's powerful stuff, Rob. And uh, yeah, just a testament to your own vast experience and business success, and and kind of it's the power of like putting that all together and packaging up, and then uh, it, it's a pretty valuable service, isn't it? It's incredible. Yeah. Rob, so thank you so much. Of course, I encourage everyone to reach out. And uh, as you said, like people can reach out to you directly, have a conversation. And um, it's so, it's invaluable just to, you know, you don't have to commit to outsourcing, but just pick up the phone and see maybe how it can impact your business, your processes, your staffing, your your strategy. Um, and that's a pretty powerful conversation. Rob, if anyone wants to know more about you, uh, either of the businesses, how can they get in touch? Um, I think the best is just to go through the website and get the staffingservices.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Rob. And we will put that in the show notes, of course. 
That was Rob Bruff. He is the founder and CEO of HealthScope Services and Agility Staffing Solutions. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.